You're listening to In This Economy, an anthology of radio plays powered by the modern workforce. I'm Calvin Kasalki. And today's episode is actually part one of a series that we staged and performed live as part of an artist residency at the Barn Arts Collective. I headed up to Bass Harbor, which is a little island off the northern coast of Maine, along with my producer, Josh, co-writer and director of today's episode, Sam Schnorr, who also voices a character in today's show, as well as Andy Miliares, another performer in this radio play and podcast marketer extraordinaire. We all headed up north so we could create this performance and stage it live in front of an audience of tens of Mainers. But as you'll hear, we didn't do this episode alone. Okay, so how does this quaint little trip to Maine relate to the modern workforce? Stay with me here. One of the main aspects of the gig economy is that it allows people to outsource jobs to freelancers or short-term contractors for the length of whatever job, project, or task they've been hired to do. The idea here being that the job will be so short-term that the employer isn't obligated to provide any kind of benefits to their temporary employee. That kind of makes sense in practice, that we see companies like Uber and Lyft, among others, really abusing the contractor classification for people who are realistically full-time employees. Just this month, as we're recording this, California passed a bill that would require rideshare companies to treat their drivers like employees instead of contractors, which could have huge ramifications on both the rideshare industry and the gig economy as a whole. Anyway, the flip side of that whole equation is talked about a little bit less. Basically, because the gig economy increases the number of workers without employer-provided benefits like healthcare, people are turning to apps and websites not just to find these freelance jobs, but to ask other people to fill the gaps created by the lack of benefits from those freelance jobs. Which is why there are thousands and thousands of people crowdfunding their medical care on sites like GoFundMe, asking their communities to chip in to cover basic necessities. Basically, people are using the same tools that allow the gig economy to thrive to try and repair the damage the economy is doing to those workers' lives. All of which is to say, when we got to Bass Harbor, Maine, we tapped into the local community to try and find actors to perform as the various marges in the radio play you're about to hear. Whether we're the employer or the person seeking basic necessities in this scenario is in the eye of the beholder. All right, that's enough rudimentary economics from me. You're listening to In This Economy. Up next, part one of the Indiana 54. listening to Franco Sax, Franco's Facts. I'm Franco Sax, your spiritual guide, your humble guru, your only voice, and your host tonight. Before we get started, our show tonight is sponsored in part by Franco Sax, Franco's Snacks. MSG, fluoride, chrysanthemum, that's the poison inside all the other snacks you buy. Franco Sacks, Franco Snacks has all the nutrition you need to survive the unknown and none of the poison slowly stealing your essence. Buy them online, you know how to use the internet. I'm joined on the program this week by our guest pert, Tobin Marjanovic. Welcome back to the show. It's a pleasure to be here uh, once again on the show. 
speaking truths and seeking answers. Great to have you back. So, you were out on assignment. We sent you out to investigate a story we've talked about here on the show before. Yeah, uh, so so before we get, I, I, I did do some investigating, uh, and, and but where it started. Tell them where it started. Was, right. Uh, so where it started uh, was I received, uh, I, I made the acquisition, I came upon... You got uh, an envelope. Right. Uh, I was sent an envelope, which contains some materials, uh, many of which are relevant uh, to some reporting that we've done uh, right here on this very show together, as well as in uh, my monthly newsletter, uh, The Internationalist, which, uh, for those of you who don't yet subscribe, is where we cover our ongoing investigation into the forces that govern our world and the worlds beyond our own. And in this envelope... Right. Uh, addressed to me uh, was a mysterious envelope. No return to sender, Franco. That's a key detail. And remember that. Key detail! Key detail. So in this envelope, uh, I received a package uh, containing an audio tape and a seemingly unconnected dossier containing varied and seemingly unrelated seemingly, notes. Seemingly! Seemingly! Right. Clearly, someone was relying on me to put the pieces together, and I suppose they contacted me uh, based on... Because of your semi-regular appearances on the program. Right, uh, based on my previous investigative reporting on such matters concerning... Your loose uh, affiliation with me. Investigations both on and off the show, yes, correct. You want to play the tape? Actually, I thought we could rerun some of the original segment from the... From this show. From this show, several months ago, to provide some context for this new wrinkle in the... Clip show! All right, let's play some of the tape from the episode about, uh, what's this one called? The Indiana 54. Okay. Okay, Josh, play the tape. Tragedy tonight in downtown Valparaiso. Two have lost their lives in what's being called a total veranda failure. Several more have been injured, but... Everyone has been left scarred here at the Bustminster Bluffs Country Club and Event Center tonight. The dead have been identified as a tourist and a young Shelby Hill Herald reporter. The investigation is ongoing, and while foul play is not suspected at this time, it has yet to be ruled out. Carolyn Powers of Arizona, Marge to her friends, was attending a conference at Bustminster. Katie Warfield, a Shelbyville native, was a rising sophomore at Dartmouth School of Journalism, where she was due to return in the fall. We were able to speak briefly with Miss Powers' colleague, Doris Marge Bornstein, about her friend's tragic passing. We're all stunned. Earlier this evening, I talked to her right on the same veranda. I can hardly believe she's gone now. None of us can. I'm so very sorry for your loss, Ms. Bornstein. You can call me Marge. M Marge, uh, sorry. And you said you're here with a group? Uh, yes. We're all part of a community organization just here for a conference. Marge was our vice president. But above all, she was our friend. I understand. That must be so hard to come to grips with. What was the name of your organization? It's a tragedy, just a, a stunning tragedy. As you can see, we're all still in shock. Thank you for speaking with us. The Greater Valparaiso community is sending prayers your way. Sure. There's still no word on what might have contributed to the complete and fatal failure of this seemingly robust veranda. More on this story as it develops. 
Sad stuff. Sad stuff, folks. So, Tobin, why are we bombing my listeners out, huh? Where's this going? Well, as you remember, uh, this tragic incident gave us our first window into the secretive organization that we would later label the Indiana 54 after these events in Valparaiso. So it's the girl, the reporter, the dead one. She up to something? No, uh, if I can direct your attention uh, to the woman named Marge. The dead one? Uh, no, the woman you heard on the tape just now. Suspicious. Uh, I think a lot of us uh, were picking that up after the interview, uh, yes. The investigation wrapped up not long after, and the authorities found no evidence of foul play. The follow-up in the mainstream media was this brief interview with uh, Rita Kieslowski, also going by Marge, that was recorded with News 7 Valparaiso three months after the incident. Joining us now is Rita Kieslowski, a friend of Carolyn Marge Powers, one of the victims of the tragic Bustminster veranda failure earlier this spring. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Miss Kozlowski, just this week, Valparaiso PD officially concluded what happened that night was, in fact, a freak accident. Does this help you and the rest of Marge's family and friends to find closure after this difficult saga? <laughs> well, I don't know if we'll ever find closure, but this does resolve everything, yes. You and the rest of your group left Valparaiso after your conference was cut short by the tragedy. What brings you back to the area? Well, now look. While none of us are from here per se, we feel that this tragedy has forged a lasting bond between us and the greater Valparaiso community. So, with that in mind, we thought it was only appropriate for us to give back to a community that lost so much with the tragic passing of, um... Um, Katie Warfield. That's right, little Katie Warfield. So we're here to make an offering to the community in the form of the little Katie Warfield Memorial Scholarship Journalism Fund. For any future kids in the community who want to study scholarship journalism, the Katie Community Fund is going to be a way for them to do that. And we want to upstand the community with this scholarship fund in order to help other students achieve the same dreams Katie would have had and would have achieved if she was here, which she isn't. So we're here, which is where we find ourselves. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for this fund and, and for joining us here today, Miss... You can come in, Marge. Well, thank you so much, Marge. This means so much to our community. You know, and now it's funny that you would say that about Katie's mother because I spoke to her earlier and she was telling me that if Katie couldn't be a journalist, she would have wanted to be a fund. So we're happy to be here to help her achieve her dreams posthumously. Well, thank you so much. Yes, <laughs> amen. Suspicious stuff. And you'll notice that the Marge speaking here is not the same one who initially spoke to the press following the destruction of the veranda. So you're saying there was some kind of a paradigm shift, a changing of the guard, a regime change, if you will. Yes, yes, that's, that's exactly it. Mm. Uh, and in fact, uh, much of what we've known about this organization and its structure comes from some of the recordings that Katie made that day, which were exhumed, I'm, uh, unearthed, along with her remains, uh, and, and which we have had completely legitimate access to uh, before our first reporting on this story. How did you say you uh, obtained these recordings of hers of the dead girl? Let's just play the tape now. Let's, let's play Katie's tape, Josh, please. 
Okay, so it's May 26th, 1987. I came out here to Bustminster Buffs this morning on an assignment to cover the 44th annual Valparaiso Charity Golf Tournament, which Deputy Mayor Hernandez won, and I ran into this really interesting woman. She said her name was Marge, and she came here for a conference for an organization she belongs to, but when I asked her what the organization was or what it is they do, she got kind of weird. So I asked if it would be okay if I could sit in on one of their meetings, but she said no to that too, which I understood kind of, because she said they were voting on some internal organizational things and that those weren't open to the public. But then I ran into this other woman, and this is so crazy, she was also named Marge, and she's here for the same conference. So I tried to see if she would let me sit in on any of the meetings, and this Marge also said no, but she did help me schedule an interview with their vice president tonight at 7.30. So I have a few hours to kill before then. I should make sure I file the charity golf tournament piece before I go home. That was one of the last recordings Katie made before her tragic death later that night. Very suspicious stuff. Yes, and as you can hear, at this point, Katie may be beginning to suspect something. How did you say you got this tape again? I obtained the tape from very trusted, uh, yet very secret sources. You talked to the parents? Katie's? She's a minor. I'm aware of how old Katie was at the time of her death. Uh, uh, have you been digging again? I'm an investigative journalist. You can exhume an adult's grave. This tape comes from a trusted, confidential, and extremely ethical source. Let's just talk about why you brought this in. Uh, so we've had Katie's tapes for some time now, but some new evidence has recently materialized. How does it materialize? New evidence that sheds completely new light on this cold case and may validate a number of our own theories about the veranda and about the inner workings and overall mission of the Indiana 54. We are breaking news here, folks. This is a Franco's Facts exclusive. This is an exclusive, right? I've not shared this information anywhere else, correct. Exclusive content. So, what's on the tape? These appear to be official records of an internal investigation conducted into the aftermath of uh, the veranda fatalities by senior members of the Indiana 54, a sort of internal audit of each member's potential involvement or lack thereof in the events that night. Uh, we can think of them as their depositions. Interview transcripts. Sort of, yes. Uh, some sections were heavily redacted before I received the dossier, but despite that, this is the first significant development in the case since 1987, as well as the most complete document we have of the inner workings of the group. Exciting stuff. Josh, hit the tape. Name and rank for the record, please. Marjass. Chief of Staff, can you detail your movements on the night of the incident? Well, I recall the accident happening just as we were finishing up dinner. I was dining with a few members of the senior assembly. We heard the sound of a veranda failing. And we ran outside to see. I spent most of the next 24 hours speaking to the crisis committee and the press. I didn't have much time to process the magnitude of the tragedy until later. I was in constant motion from the moment of the failure. I didn't ask you about your emotional state. Of course you didn't. I just trying to be open here. What other meetings did you attend that day? Well, I chaired the quarterly meeting of the External Affairs Council from 8.30 to 11. After lunch, I attended the drawing of the lots in the Senior Assembly. As you know, four members were relegated this year. 
I did not draw a black lot and therefore was able to continue on the pre-dinner cocktail hour where I met with Marjax and Marjax won to discuss the voting schedule for the general election the following day. At dinner, well, I sat with you, Marge, and as you know, we spoke about your daughter's volleyball tournament. In the midst of all this, I don't think I followed up. Did they make the stake? Thank you for your account, Marge. <laughs> the Inquisition Committee will follow up with those named in your testimony to verify your movements that day. Just a formality. As I am well aware, is there anything else I can be helpful with here? Well, is there anything else you can think of that would be useful for us to know? No, not that I can... Actually, you know what? <laughs> I almost forgot to mention. I think it was right between lunch and the requisitioning of the unworthies. I ran in to Marge M and we did chat. What was the content of your conversation with Marge M? Oh, this and that. <laughs> we talked about lunch for a little while. Then uh, she lobbied me to change my vote. Your vote on the referendum on what to do with Anaheim or your vote for the new Marge Prime? It was about the Marge Prime election. She thought she knew how I was planning to vote and tried to convince me to change my mind. And did she? I didn't have much time to think over her proposal. There was the requisition and then dinner and then the veranda. And we had to reschedule the whole thing anyway. I suppose we'll find out in a couple of days when we finally cast our ballots. Thank you for your time. Up next, the council will hear the testimony of... Interesting stuff. How do you think this requisitioning works? I have some speculations, which I've actually uh, detailed in a separate uh, research document, uh, but that's neither here nor there. I thought we should keep the focus on the issue at hand. Uh, so that was Marge S., who we heard in the earlier news package. And now we're about to hear from Marge C., who is the second uh, Marge speaking in that other second news package. Uh, now, notice the difference. Like that! Right. Uh, so noticing uh, that she's the public-facing Marge after these tapes are recorded, we can speculate that Marge C. was the victor in the power struggle being discussed on these tapes. And now we'll hear from her. So Josh, if you could please uh, play the next one. State your name and rank. Do you not know who I am? State your name and rank for the record, please. Right, 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 right. Marge C., Vice Chair of the Shadow Cabinet. Can you please walk us through your activities on the day of the Indiana incident? What did I do? Oh, right, the country club. Really small, Jim. Didn't love that. Woke up, went to the tennis to see if there was anyone to hit with. No one was there, so I went for a jog around the grounds instead. Went to breakfast. The omelet station was closed by that point, but the buffet was still open, open until 10 a.m., I believe. So I had some pretty okay oatmeal with walnuts. And I don't quite remember what that first meeting I went to uh, was. Based on testimony from Marge P., she reported that 
two of you co-chaired the Committee on Accusations and Slanders. Is that accurate? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's kind of a blur. A lot of libel to sort through this year. Marge P. was handling a lot of the actual accusing and filing, to tell you the truth. And that ran until lunch. And I had a light lunch because I had to book it across the club grounds to make it in time to watch the culling of the unworthies. <laughs> Every year, got to see that. But after that, I adjudicated some disputations on the internal courts. And I think I ruled on six or seven cases all together. Some good vibes this year. Excuse me? I said there were some good vibes at dinner. Everyone getting along until the tragedy, until this terrible tragedy which took place after dinner. Now, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. We are talking about exactly that. What I have to say about that in, in terms of the tragedy, it's, it's just that... You know, before the failure of the veranda, you were not considered a front runner in the general election. But now, with voting just a few days off, you are the favorite to be elected, our new Marge Prime. To uh, what do you attribute that change? Ah, oh, the veranda failure, definitely. Because when you think about it, if that veranda didn't go out that night, well, the next day there's an election, and you know I wasn't on the ballot. <laughs> no. So what I wanted to say in terms of the veranda is that it is an awful, awful tragedy. Yes, and since then, it's just been a magical couple of weeks for me, and in a few days, it's the election. <laughs> so it's very interesting to think about, I would say. I agree. It is very interesting to think about. Because the next day, it was going to be her. She was second in command, and then the veranda happens, and it's all out the window. If the veranda didn't happen, we were all voting for her. I mean, I wasn't going to vote for her, but most of us were. So she would have won. So it's very sad for her. And the veranda, even though it's been very good for me, it, it's a bad thing. You have to say it, it is a bad thing. So anyway, probably that. So when we investigate these sorts of things, we look for those who would have stood to benefit the most. Oh, yeah, me, definitely. Right. Uh, so, uh, once we've identified those people, they usually become suspects. Yes, indeed. So, we understand each other. Absolutely. Now, did you need me to answer anything else? Marge, what do you think caused the veranda to fail? Oh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, I'm not really an architectural digestive type. If you had to guess. Well, like I said, I'm not a, an archaeologist, but a, I don't know, faulty interstructure? We'll make a note of that. Did I get it right? We'll follow up with you. Thank you for your time. Sure, I'm happy to be here. And now remember, a vote for C is a vote for me. So that's how you don't forget how to vote for me. Right. You can go. Um, good luck on Tuesday, Marge. The Indiana 54 was written by me, Calvin Kosalki, and Sam Schnorr. 
It was produced by Calvin Kosolke and Josh Rowland and directed by Sam Schnorr. It featured the voices of Sam Schnorr, Andrew Simon, and Andy Miliares. The Marges were voiced by Cindy Robbins, Carolyn Gage, Sherry Maniello, and Marjorie Russikoff. It was produced, mixed, and edited by Josh Rowland. And special thanks to Andrew Simon and the Barn Arts Collective. In This Economy is a Brick Radio production. We were recorded at Brick House in downtown Brooklyn by O'Neill Moulet and Eric Haugesog. Our in-house producer is Emily Bogosian, and our executive producer is Sasha Mathias. For more information on this and all Brick Radio podcasts, visit brickartsmedia.org radio.